You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with one more time with you with the Revelation Revolution. Get your Bible, your paper, your highlighter, your pencil so you can take copious notes because we are about to go through another exciting chapter of the Revelation Revolution. Praise the Lord, everyone. This again, this is Dr. Dennis James Woods. We're here with you uh, with the Revelation Revolution. Glory to God. I know, though, there have been many of you that saying, Doc, when you are, when is we going to get back into another session? Oh, glory to God. I know you guys are loving this just as I do. You know, God gives me uh, these things that he's been putting it together for me for many, many years, 40 plus years. I am not some guy who just came up with something last week and now i'm on a podcast t-shirt it's just not like that my first book on this subject was released in 1995 and uh i've been uh and that's and i was in it many years before i wrote my first book so uh this is not some overnight developed came up with some ate some ribs and then had some kind of revelation through a dream <laughs> after having a bout of indigestion in my sleep and then I started writing and got up the next morning and writing and now here we have all this stuff no this is many 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 years of uh, the Lord ministering to me and uh, putting things together 
for me. Glory to God. You know the scriptures uh, can be uh, right in front of your face and uh, until you get illumination by the Holy Spirit on something you may not even know uh, the relevance of certain things. And so uh, until the Holy Spirit uh, puts it together, uh, glory to God. And so um, this is a, a labor of love, uh, glory to God. And, um, and let, me, let me just read to you, let's, uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Uh, this is what it says as Jesus is ministering after his resurrection he's ministering to his disciples and this is what he says Luke 24 44 he said unto them these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses that's the first five books of the Bible and in the prophets major minor prophets and in the Psalms that's all 150 Psalms concerning me then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name amongst all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Ye are the witnesses of these, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, Glory to God, until ye be endued with power from on high. Now the 44th verse is key here because it says, These are the words that I speak unto you while I was yet with you. That all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and of the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45. Then open he their understanding that they may understand the scriptures. So what that is saying ladies and gentlemen. You can read the Bible. You can know the Bible. But there is another level of understanding that the Lord has to open up to people. You see, an unbeliever can read the same words that a believer can read. The same words, yet the person that has the Spirit of God can receive the things that the natural man cannot receive. And he can open up their understanding. He can illuminate what is written in the scriptures and he can connect concepts, biblical concepts that are basically hidden from somebody else who doesn't have the spirit or who God has not illuminated in a certain area. The same things that someone else is reading, 
another person won't get because at a certain level God has to connect things for you even though it be right in front of your face this is one of the reasons ladies and gentlemen that the Pharisees miss Jesus that's why they say that the princes of this world knew he was the Lord of glory they would not they wouldn't crucify him certain things are hidden glory to God even though they're right there they're hidden the reason why this is key is because what you have been learning on Revelation Revolution is what the Bible has always said this isn't anything new. You're not getting anything new. What's new is, is how the scriptures are being applied and how they've been opened up to me to give to you. Now, I'm not calling myself no prophet, no apostle. I'm not trying to start no church. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not charging people money to come to my podcast. and I'm not doing that. Freely I receive, freely I give. And so this is why it is important to understand, number one, our whole premise, ladies and gentlemen, is does the book of Revelation after chapter 3, after John addresses the seven churches which were in Asia Minor in chapters 2 and 3, does is there any application to the church between chapters 4 and Revelation 19 is anything in between those two applicable to the church that's the question that we're dealing with okay now the most popular doctrine is pre-trib it's not only popular but prevalent in any evangelical school you go to Pentecostal charismatic it doesn't make a difference most I would say the vast majority of Protestant Christians have adopted the dispensationalist pre-tribulationist interpretation of the book of Revelation mind you all and I emphasize all of the doctrines including the one that I teach are all theories ladies and gentlemen whether they teach them as theories or not, if you get Dr. Dwight Pentecost's book, Things to Come, which was a the pillar, uh, one of the top uh, reference books used to uh, teach pre-tribulation, all the fundamentals of it, and it, it actually goes through the mid-tribulation position, the pre-tribulation, the post-tribulation. It goes through all of those doctrines, and it gives reasons why those are bad or whatever. If you uh, 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 go back to uh, uh, Dr. Pentecost in his book, we find that, glory to God, that 
they began to teach and construct the pre-tribulation position but it is taught at least in his book as the pre-tribulation rapture theory see no one puts the word theory on it today the reason why it has to be a theory ladies and gentlemen is because it hasn't happened yet and so to be honest to all of the positions like I say including mine it is these are theories why it hasn't happened yet and there's a whole bunch of pieces that we do not know we have to be careful of the the systematizing of eschatological doctrines since they haven't happened yet there are too many unknowns and the reason why I say there's too many unknowns prophecy itself gives you the what is going to happen but it in many cases does not give you the when and the how it's going to happen besides God just being all powerful omnipotent his ways are past finding out now what we mean by that is ladies and gentlemen that his ways are past finding out we have a God that has access to every level of all creations and anything in existence that includes everything in heaven earth earth beneath it includes all the elements it includes all the laws of nature it includes the one cell amoeba all the way up to human beings it includes everything demons principalities powers it includes dreams God can speak to somebody in a dream he has access to everything everything is at his disposal everything in the universe everything that is in existence ladies and gentlemen is at the disposal of God to bring forth his will in the earth realm that's why it is impossible to know how God is going to do something he can use anything he wants at any time and so when we come up with these systems of how things are going to work out then we set ourselves up to miss him altogether because we done this is why the Bible said who has known the mind of God and who has instructed him what do you think that means 
Do we actually, with our gray matter here today, go on tomorrow, puff of smoke, vapor lives of a human being that if you're fortunate, you get 75 years. Beyond that, if you, we, we are here today and going tomorrow. How is it that we have gotten doctorate degrees and all of this behind our names and now we know just as much as God in these things? Even if it is in the Bible, you still don't know how he's going to do nothing. You don't know how God is going to bring prophecy about. No one can figure that out until it happens. And then we see it and then we go, oh, who could have seen that coming? We don't know, ladies and gentlemen. We know what? Because he says such and such is going to happen but we don't know when and we don't know how he's going to do it I like using the the example of Jesus being born in Bethlehem the Bible said he was going to be born in Bethlehem we didn't know when and we didn't know how he was going to be born in Bethlehem well in this case one of the main people that he used was Augustus Caesar. Augustus Caesar put a decree out to take a census. Everybody had to come back to the land of birth. Joseph and Mary, well, they were somewhere else. They had to come back to Jerusalem in a contravening time. Boom, Mary's pregnant. Has a baby there in Bethlehem. No one knew it was going to happen like that. How, did, how, did, how could anyone would have figured out uh, before that happened that, that God was going to use the government to do that? He has all things at his disposal. God can use a mosquito. Glory to God. You don't know how God is going to hook up two people together. You don't know how that's going to happen. You know, God could prophesy. Let me, I'm going to give you an example. This is oversimplifying to make a point. Let's say two people are going to meet. And when they meet, they're going to exchange information that is going to revolutionize the world. It just so happens, and both people live in two different places. Well, it just so happens one guy flies in to Chicago, let's say. The other guy lives in Chicago. Well, the guy that flew into Chicago was supposed to, was supposed to leave on Thursday. But he doesn't leave on Thursday because there's a storm and the airports cancel the flights so he's stuck in Chicago an extra day and because he's stuck in Chicago an extra day he's downtown he gets hit by a car he ends up in Northwestern Hospital okay another guy that he's supposed to meet he's out mowing his lawn he gets bit by a mosquito that has West Nile, vi uh, West Nile virus he ends up in intensive care somehow right next to the guy who doesn't even live in Chicago who wouldn't have even been in Chicago that night but a storm came 
Walking around downtown, his flight got canceled. He comes back town, downtown. He's at his hotel. He crosses Michigan Avenue. Bam, he gets hit by a car. Now there he is in Northwestern. They're both in Northwestern. He's in bed 11 in the emergency room. The other is bed 12. Somehow when the nurse is going back and forth and blah, 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 the curtain comes over. They separated the two from their emergency room thing. He looks over. Hey, man, what's going on? And they get to talking. Hey, I'm from this and I know this. Blah, 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 blah. When we get out of here, let's connect and blah, blah, blah. Now, the prophecy might have been these two will uh, come together and revolutionize the world with, when they meet. Who could have figured out how they would meet because they live in two different cities? They wouldn't have never even met had this guy's plane not have been canceled. Who knew the weather was going to be on that day? You see, now, what I just did is I just created a scenario. And I brought two men together using just the just simple things of creation. All the things that God. Now, God is the one who can treat. He, he can send a mosquito. What West, West Nile virus? Not all mosquitoes have West Nile virus. But the one that, that bites this guy does on a certain day that lands him in the hospital at a certain time, this guy missed his flight because of a storm. Nobody knew that. How could anyone predict that? Now, the Bible may say, well, not the Bible, but the prophecy may say these two are going to meet and come up with something that's going to revolutionize the world. The when they were going to meet and how they were going to meet is completely mysterious. We don't know how that's going to happen. All we know is they're going to meet and change. Ladies and gentlemen, God has at his disposal everything in the universe to bring about the fulfillment of prophecy and there is not a human being alive who can consult God or figure him out because his ways are past finding out. It is as simple as that. We like to think we know in our theories and that's fine. We're intelligent beings. God gave us ability. It's not that we can't know anything. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, when you got a doctrine that has all the answers, and it's going to be like this, A, B, C, D, G, E, F, G, and this is how it's going to happen. It's going to happen like this, and blah, 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 and you got it all figured out. Chances are you don't know what the heck you're talking about because God's ways are past finding out. And unless he told you all the details and how he's going to do something, you really don't know what you're talking about. So that's nice and concise. With our doctrines and our theories of why they all contain weaknesses because we don't have all the answers. The interesting thing about Revelation is, though, in Revelation chapter 10, God is letting us know he left some stuff out. When the seven thunders uttered, John said, I was about to write. 
he was not permitted to write that. Paul talked about when he was in third heaven, he seen things that well, that that a, that a man was not allowed to know or even speak. So, while we think we are intelligent, while we think we know everything, we simply don't. Getting back to the book of the Revelation, God has decided to reveal what he felt we needed to know concerning the times that are coming. The question is, is how are we to respond to this information? Or how do we respond to the information? Do we respond to it with a this does not apply to us approach? Which fosters this whole idea of us missing the persecution that the Bible has talked about? When historically that has never been the case. Never, ladies and gentlemen. People have always died because they took God's side. And God does not <laughs> deliver people all the time. Sometimes you get miraculous delivery. I mean, they tried to kill Jeremiah. They couldn't kill him. Okay, they tried to kill Daniel a couple of times. He couldn't get killed. That's two people. You know, they tried to get this one or that one. But a lot of people, ladies and gentlemen, were martyrs. Not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. It would behoove you to study church history there are many good books out on it it would behoove you to get a copy of Fox's book of martyrs and just read about the stories that are in the accounts rather that are in there of saints being persecuted uh, there is a, a Netflix movie out uh, that it talks about the Apostle Paul. It, it came out in 2007. I, I saw the movie. I mean, it's so-so. It, 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 I mean, it, it's, it's it, you know, I, I can understand why it wasn't a hit. But one of the important things about the film is they showed the persecution of Christians and the horror of it and how it impacted these people. We're not talking about in Daniel's day, we're talking about the first 300 years about of the church after Pentecost. These are people with the Holy Spirit. The man who talked about how Jesus was going to return and be our blessed hope. The man who talked about be comforted with these words that the dead in Christ would rise first. 
the man who talked about what shall separate us from for the love of God shall death shall life things present seem past things present things to come all principalities power Paul goes through the whole litany the man who who told us about all of the mysteries of God and all of the Pauline theology and all of the beautiful things that Paul talked about the church that man got his head cut off but he was under no loss of comfort Paul said in 2nd Timothy I'm ready to be offered up I'm ready to be offered up I'm ready to be poured out like a drink offering I'm ready I've run my race I finished my course shoot your best shot what's laid up for me is a crown of righteousness come on I'm ready I lay my life down the man who wrote Romans chapter 1 the man who wrote that Romans chapter 12 1 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God for reasonable service let me tell you something ladies and gentlemen when we read that passage in the 21st century it has a whole nother meaning to us particularly here in America because presenting yourself as a little living sacrifice when we see service what that means to us is we dedicate our lives to the Lord and, and we serve we serve the Lord and you know go to church and go to Bible class and become an usher or a minister or you know sweep the church and we serve in God we give our life in service and we're not saying it doesn't have aspects of that but what I'm saying is our view of that passage is taken on through the lens of a modern day American Christian who has never gone through persecution where they don't kill you because you're a Christian the man who wrote that right around between somewhere in 50 and 70 AD somewhere in this range a living sacrifice to those Christians included getting your head cut off being burnt at the stake being lit on fire to illuminate the streets in Rome at night being thrown to lions a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God were people like Antipas at the church of Pergamum one of the letters in the seven churches my faithful martyr is what he was called and so ladies and gentlemen the perspective of the first 
second and third century Christian who lived under the threat of death because of their faith. We wouldn't even have a Christianity with the history that it has if it were not for people like those who were willing to die. So when we read Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Oh, that means getting up for us. That means getting up and going to church on Sunday and, and midweek Bible class and going to minister school and standing out on the street calling a witness. And see, that's what it means to us. What it meant to them, the person who wrote that, the man who wrote that, who got his head cut off, it meant I'm ready to be offered up. It meant I am a like a drink offering being poured out. That's what it meant to them. This wasn't some ideological uh, sacrifice. This was the real deal. These people were paying with their lives just like Jesus did and his apostles as well. It's just that. And then these Americas, 21st century Christians, whereas, let me just put this in, in other parts of the world, they are being persecuted, but it doesn't make our news cycles. We don't hear about that. All you got to do is uh, uh, subscribe to the, uh, uh, I think there's a monthly or periodical magazine that comes out uh, uh, that... Um a periodical magazine that comes out uh, called Voice of the Martyrs. If you read that stuff, you'll read about what's going on. The problem is the average Christian today has no clue as to the severity of what it meant to be a Christian under hostile life and death threatening circumstances. We have no idea what that milieu is like. So therefore, when you approach the book of the Revelation, you either approach it with a theory that tells you no, that don't have nothing to do with us. Or you approach it with a historical perspective that says this is written in the DNA of everyone that will live godly. You will suffer persecution. Now, if you live in a country where it's not going on, do not delete that file as if though it cannot happen or it won't happen in, the, in a place near you. And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, that's how we approach the book of the Revelation. God has laid out how it's going to be. God has said what is going to happen. But there is a reason why we don't pay attention to it. And I tell you, 
those scholars, those people that have written these books, that teach, this is somebody else, this is another group, this is a whole nother, the whole nother group of people that have nothing to do with the church, they will have to give account and stand before God why they made the book of Revelation none effect through their own doctrines and their own teachings. Maybe it is an unintended consequence. They didn't intend for people to marginalize the book of Revelation by, by teaching. It doesn't apply to us. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's more to the eye. It's more to it than what meets the eye. So, with all of that being said, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the next aspect of our lesson last week or the last session we examined the life of the so-called tribulation saints you know they say that the saints that are mentioned in Revelation, they you know they have a few uh, ways they categorize it. The saints that are going to be persecuted in Revelation 13 have a few ways. Number one, that's just Israel. That's who that's talking about. Because to the pre-tribulationists, they're dispensationalists. They they see a strict separation between the program for the church for Israel and and the church. And and in some in some places that's warranted. I, I no I don't have a problem so much with that piece. But it just depends on how you apply it and where you apply it. The other ones are saying, well, these are the saints that are left behind. For whatever reason, they, 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 they just weren't good enough at the time of the rapture and they got left. You know, the Tim LaHaye series, Left Behind, uh, spends a whole series promoting that concept. That these are the ones and then, then after the persecution starts, then they get, they get their act together and give their lives to the Lord. Well, one of the problems with that is, if that's the case, how are they coming to the Lord? Because you've already said the He that's restraining the, the revealing of the Antichrist is the Holy Spirit. These people don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit isn't indwelling people. Dr. Walvoord says it's not indwelling people. It's not sealing people. It's not baptizing people. It, it kind of goes back to a on and off again relationship like it had in the Old Testament. See, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible doesn't say any of that. But what we have to understand is these are the logical steps you have to take if you teach that the church is gone already. See, you're forced to say crazy stuff like that. See, you're forced to do it because you already talked that the church is gone. So now you got to make up stuff for the people that the Bible clearly says are going to be here. So number one, you say, well, that's just Israel or that's these other folks. 
goes back to the whole premise. Well, why did God give the book of Revelation in the first place? Who is he talking to? Who did he give it to? According to uh, the very beginning of Revelation, it was given to John to give to his servants, his people, the children of God. The, the people that study, uh, that, that have, uh, that are Islamic or Baha'i or Hindu or Shintus or Buddhist and all these other zillions and a zillion and five religions, they don't have a book of Revelation. They got their only book. Who's got? Who's holding? Who's the? Who's the? Who's the uh, bearer of the word of God? So far as the Bible is concerned, that's Christians, ladies and gentlemen. That's who's reading it. That's who it's for. He gave it to us. He can give it to us so we can say, "Oh, that ain't us." He gave it to us because, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a time of trouble that has never existed since the time of, of, of creation, since the beginning of creation. And there's nothing to compare it to, although there'll be some types and shadows that'll be signposts, such as the abomination of desolation when that happens. So he wrote the information down and he's telling you what's going to happen. So if we read Revelation, we find out Revelation 13. Now, here we go. Verse number seven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints. Remember last, the last session we talked about this and it was given to him. In other words, as some translations have it, as a matter of fact, let me, let me pull up uh, one. Uh, let's go with the ESV. This is how the ESV has it. And it was allowed to make war with the saints. That's the ESV. The New Living Translation. And the beast was allowed to wage war against the saints. The Holman Translation. The Holman, uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And he was permitted to wage war against the saints. So the, the idea, the NASB, glory to God, and, and it was also given to him to make war with the saints. The new standard version, and it was given to him, the amplified version, glory to God, and he was further permitted to wage war on God's holy people. So the thing is, ladies and gentlemen, and the Amplified has it very interesting. The Amplified said, and he was further permitted to wage war on God's people. And then in parentheses says, the saints. And to overcome them. Now, the word saints, hagios, everywhere and all of the New Testament epistles where it is used, it means save people Christians. That's what it means. There's no doubt about it. You know, Paul doesn't just, like I said before, Paul not only uses the word church to identify saints. To identify, the, uh, he, Paul doesn't only use the word church to identify uh, saved folks. Paul also used the word saints. That's the same word that John uses, hagios. It, it's always meant God's people. It's always meant that. But see, dispensationalists want to compare 
compartmentalize the whole concept of what is a saint and they use a different hermeneutic or rules for interpretation when it comes to book of the revelation that they do not use in the other epistles a saint is a saint is a christian is part of the church and every other book in the new testament in the epistles but when you get to revelation past chapter four all of a sudden that changed and saint no longer means saint it no longer means christian it don't mean that it means something else that's them other folks I would say why are we playing games with the Bible why don't we just let the book minister now when I say just read the book I say that this way I don't mean just read the book without studying and understanding that this is a difficult subject that you need the book of Daniel. You need some background in this. What I mean by just read the book, what I'm saying is, is let's stick to the perspicuity of scriptures. Just let a sentence be a sentence, a paragraph be a paragraph. And what makes logical sense, let's just approach it that way. That's what I mean by that. I'm not saying that you don't need skill in coming to this book and just pick it up and read it and coming up with anything you want to. What I'm saying is let's not get all deep and mysterious and try to create categories that don't exist. Why don't we just read it for what it says? If it says it was permitted for the Antichrist to make war against God's holy people, why are we trying to make that somebody else? It was God's intention to give us the book of Revelation so we would know what's going to happen because there was no other time period to compare it to. It was a unique time. So God is saying, okay, this is what you guys are going to be facing. What I'm going to do, I love you so much. I'm going to send John into the future. I'm the only being in the universe that is capable to do this. And I'm going to use my power specifically to give you information that nothing, no other thing is capable of doing. And I'm going to do it so far in advance that it's going to make your head spin. The first time that that God revealed the coming of his saints in Armageddon was to Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Enoch said, and and Jude quoting uh, the book of Enoch, uh, quoting saying, and I saw the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. God let Enoch from the very beginning see the end. And after that, he said, Enoch, come on, let's go. You can't stay here. Do you imagine that God revealed his plan to this man and the flood hadn't even happened yet, ladies and gentlemen? He was just seventh from Adam. That's how heavy our God is. This, look, Enoch was so close to God. He walked with him. See, when somebody is close to you, you know how I get. Come here, man. I'm going to share a secret with you. Don't look. Don't you tell nobody else this. You know how we get. If a person's real close to a man, you will reveal secrets to them. And the good thing about having somebody, a close friend like that, is that you can tell a secret to them. You can share stuff with them because they're close to you. Enoch was so close to God, God laid out his plan to him. 
seven from Adam. God jumped way in the future, five, six thousand years in advance. If you go with a young earth theory. What I mean by that is, if you believe that uh, the earth was created in six uh, six days. And I'm not getting into that. It, it, look, one, none of us around here. So I, look, don't don't ask me, don't email me, don't write me and ask me about it. Because I don't know. I don't know. I don't mind saying I don't know. All I do know is God showed Enoch the saints coming with God in Revelation 19, Zechariah 14, he showed him that and the flood hadn't even happened yet. God saying there's none like me showing the end from the beginning. There's none like me. So this is what God does. He goes into the future. He takes a first century Christian, ladies and gentlemen, who walked with Jesus, who was the closest to Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was the apostle John, who died of old age on the island of Patmos because they tried to kill him, but he was miraculously delivered. So they banished him to an island, the one whom Jesus loved, the one that was closest to Christ, and he took this man thousands of years into the future and said write this down and give it to my servants the church but the question is is what did his servants the church do with it they marginalized it and said oh that ain't talking about us that's them other folks Revelation 13, 7, and it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. Glory to God. You know who's really, really in control? I'm just going to digress just a bit. Let's go to Revelation 17. Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory, glory to God. Revelation 17, 17. Well, let's just start. Let's just start at the 16th verse. And it says, And the ten horns without saws upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and she shall make her desolate and naked, and they shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Verse 17. For God hath Put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. That is Revelation 17, 17. Do you know what? Ladies and gentlemen, you know what the Bible just told you right there. That the nations that make the ten kings that make up the beast's confederacy that they're going to control the world. The Bible, God is claiming responsibility. He said, that's me making them do that. Using Satan to work it out. But that's God doing that. God is the one who has put it in their hearts to fulfill his word. These are not the words of Satan. This is not Satan's revelation. This is Jesus' revelation to the world. And because it's his, his revelation, he controlled everything. 
as wicked as those men are, as evil as they are, and even though they're going to be gather their armies to fight against the Lord in the battle of Armageddon, they're going to be expecting some invaders from space, and they are, and it is going to be an invasion from space. I'm going to we're going to be talking about that later when we get back to the two witnesses. But there is going to be an invasion. You know, the world's being prepared for that. All these movies talking about space people coming and taking over the world and evading the world. We've been getting it since the 1930s, and we keep seeing it in our films. We keep seeing it in our TV programs and all of these things about space and all of this stuff coming to the world and us being attacked and taken over. We eat popcorn, go to the movies and watch this stuff all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, the prince of the power of the air is 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 inculcating and putting this stuff in people's hearts to prepare for the eventual fight of the invasion of all time is when the Lord opens up the skies and invades the world from heaven with an army, but it's not going to be the Klingons. It's going to be him on the white horses and the saints. And guess what? They're coming back to fight. That part is right. It's just that Satan twisted it up and got us looking for UFOs. There will be a point where the earth is invaded, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to get back to that later. I just wanted to wet your whistle with that one. <laughs> oh, for God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Who do you think is in control? So when the Bible says it was given to him to make war with the saints, now you know who's behind that. Now you know who's behind it. God is the one who sent all that up. God said, I'm the one who's setting these people out here. I'm the one who have them as sacrifices. Just like my son was a sacrifice. Oh, their blood is not atoning though, but their blood is precious. Not as precious. Not redeeming like the Lord's. I'm not putting somebody, some martyr's blood in the same category with the blood of the Lamb. I'm not doing that. But they are seen in connection with him. That's why their souls were under the altar. In Revelation chapter 6. Because they are precious to God. And he says it in the psalm. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Very precious to him. And he's only putting the ones that have the fortitude to stand. Because there's going to be a whole bunch of people that jump ship. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24. He says they're going to persecute you and kill you. And many are going to be offended. Some version says and many are going to fall away. Yeah, they are. And so, let's go back to Revelation 13. Glory to God. Verse 7, It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the, written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Listen to what this says. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth in captivity must go into captivity. He that he that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, that's how it says it in King James. King James is a great version of the Bible. Listen, all of my scripture memories in King James. I'm not about to get on the King James only debate. debate. Glory to God. All I want to say is there's archaic language in the King James. And if you're going to use the King James as your base Bible, have some of the other versions uh, available with it that kind of break it down in modern day English. And the reason why I say that, God didn't speak in these and thous. That's how 17th century 
people in Europe and Scotland and England, that's how they spoke. They put it in their language. That is, you know, we think that that's holy language. Thou shalt not. That ain't holy language. That's how the people in Scotland and in England talked in the 17th century. That's where we get that. If you read Shakespeare, you'll see the these and the thous and the fifths and the thethths and all that stuff. Now, we don't know what that means. God's interested in communicating to people where they can understand him. What do you think he did on the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, people heard with the wonderful words of God in their native language. That means if Pentecost would have happened in America, glory to God, to give you an example, someone who came from Mexico who speaks good English would not have heard what the Holy Spirit was saying. He wouldn't have heard it in English. He would have heard it in his native tongue, even though he was in America and spoke English. He wouldn't have heard it in English because English is not his native tongue. These people on the day of Pentecost heard it in their native, native tongue. That means God is interested in speaking to people how they understand. That's what that means. How they understand. God knows how to communicate to people. So I know that, like I say, all my scripture memories in King James Version of the Bible, and I'm not grabbing no NIV or NAS or nothing else and trying to re-remember scripture because I'm already it's already in my brain that way. But I do know, as being somewhat learned, ladies and gentlemen, that the other versions help because it helps us understand the English. Therefore, I said all of that to make this point. If we go to the NIV, in the same passage, verse number nine... Glory to God. Let's go to the NIV. Alright. Verse number nine. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, footnote. See, preach will say, see, uh, in the first and, and chapters two and three, it says, the he that have an ear, let the spirit hear what the spirit says to the churches. <laughs> and here he says, he who whoever has ears, let him hear. Nothing's nothing's meant about the church, the word church isn't used. Come on, man, it is such a crazy concept. Number one, he was talking to seven specific churches in Asia Minor. If you fast forward two thousand years years later the church is a universal phenomena it's all over the world now so it's not like you could just call out seven places it's all over and besides the churches them seven churches that they address that they, they, those places aren't even there they're ruins now so what was he going to do? Go the, the, the Church of Harvey, the Church of Chicago, the Church of Elsep, the Church of Palo Alto, California. I mean, come on, what was he going to do? John going into the future seeing all this ladies and gentlemen he didn't put all that there because the the emphasis has changed to communicating to the saints as opposed to a mystical body called the church which John never used the term like Paul did in the first place that's why you don't see it in John I, you know I went over that already but anyway verse number nine from the NIV whoever has ears let them hear verse 10 if anyone is too go into captivity see that's how that should be read if anyone is to go into captivity into captivity they will go remember ladies and gentlemen at the church of i think it was the church of Smyrna. he said listen satan is gonna cast some of you into prison 
And you're going to be tri- you're going to have tribulation 10 days. Now we don't know exactly what that means. Glory to God, but this let's just deal with the concept. He says Satan's going to cast some of you in a prison, but Jesus said be faithful unto death, I'll give you the crown of life. Jesus did not say I'm not going to let Satan persecute you. I'm not going to let Satan put you in jail. I'm not going to let you be in situations where you could lose your life. He never said that. He never promised that. That's this stuff that's good over here in America in a country that has religious freedom that has never suffered persecution for being a Christian. Not at any levels would cost us our lives. It's against the law to do that here. So this is why it's a foreign concept to us. But this, these are what the Christians that lived in John's and Paul's, they live with every day. This is what the Thessalonians were going through. The Thessalonians thought they were already, the persecution was so bad on them that somebody had read, uh, wrote them a letter saying they were already in a day of the Lord. They had, was giving up hope because they thought they had missed the rapture and all of that. That's going to happen again, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have Christians here who were told they were supposed to be gone and that they're in the day of the Lord. When they see that uh, uh, peace treaty sign and all of that stuff, they're going to say, oh, my God, we entered the day of the Lord. Why? Because pre-trib teaches that all of Daniel's 70th week is the day of the Lord. And that's not true because the day of the Lord can't happen until the beast becomes the beast. The beast only has 42 months. You can't make the the, the, the whole period the day of the Lord. Those are the, they, they use theological reasonings to say that, but the Bible is very clear. What, be pre, what precedes the day of the Lord are the cosmological signs. There will be the moon shall be turned to blood and the sun shall not give its light right before the notable day of the Lord comes. All you got to do is read Joel 2 and Acts 2 and it tells you that the cosmological signs appear before the day of the great and notable day of the Lord comes. It has to happen after the abomination of desolation after Antichrist walks into the throne, sits on the throne uh, walks into the most holy cult place uh, 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 calls himself God. It has to happen after that point because that's what Antichrist does that. He only has 42 months as the Antichrist or the beast of Revelation chapter uh, 13 ladies and gentlemen it's not seven years he's not the beast for seven years he's only the beast for 42 months the bible is very specific about that he can't become that until the beast that is in the bottomless pit the principality that and power that's going to possess him is let out he's kept in prison the what that now withholds and the angels who do the restraining revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 the angels are the ones who who do that they're the ones who do the restraining. I saw Satan. I saw an angel come down from heaven. Glory to God with a great chain in his hand and a key to the bottom of his pit. Guess who he grabbed? He's the one who grabbed Satan and put him up, locked him up, chained him up, put a seal on him, put that wicked butt in the bottom of his pit, locked him up for a thousand years. Do you think God had the Holy Ghost had to get off his throne and do that? Come on, people. Would a judge send somebody to, to jail and then get, take his robe off, get off to there, put the handcuffs on and drive him to the cell and lock him up? Of course not. God controls all things, but God does not do all things. That's the point. It's different. You have providential restraint and you have tactical restraint. Tactical restraint comes into play because there's a physical place, a what called the bottomless pit that houses the spirit that is going to get into beast. All you have to do is read Revelation 17, uh, chapter uh, 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 7 and 8. Glory to God. 
This is the stuff that pre-trib left out of their theory as determining what is withholding or restraining the Antichrist. This is why I wrote Dr. Walvoord. This is why I wrote Dr. Pentecost. This is why while I was attending Trinity, I submitted a paper to D.A. Carson, who gave me an A-. minus. He said, this is gifted work, man, because I dismantled the arguments that Pentecost and Walvoord put forth in their theories. I didn't just go to Pastor Tim down the street. Look, I went to the people at the universities who were writing this stuff. That's who I addressed. And I'm giving this to you. They couldn't do nothing with it because you can't argue with the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. The scriptures say what they say. Okay, Revelation chapter 13, verse number 9. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. Listen to what the next verse says. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. In other words, this is a parenthesis saying, listen, the, 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 tribu- the, uh, uh, the saints during this time, uh, the church at this time, because this is the last generation of church saints. And before we get off to the, this lesson, we're going to actually see the rapture in Revelation. That's right. I'm going to give you a goodie today. I ain't going to give you no cliffhangers. I'm actually going to take you there today. We're going to break it down. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Let's look at that in another version, ladies and gentlemen. Let's look. Come on. How are we going to do this together? Glory to God. That's the NIV. That's how the NIV says it. All right. Let's go to uh, the NASB. If anyone is, listen to how it reads, the NSB, the New American Standard reads, if anyone is destined for captivity, for captivity he goes. If anyone, if anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. Glory to God. Let's look at this in the New King James Version. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. See, the king, the, the, the translations from the Tepsis Receptus puts a different spin on it. Another, another interpretive direction on it. Glory to God. Let's look at the Homan. If anyone is destined for captivity, in the captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This demands perseverance and faith of the saints. Why do you think that's there? God is saying, listen, this is going to require you to remain faithful as past generations of church saints have been faithful. It's not going to be any different, ladies and gentlemen. When they line Christians up to go into the circus, Maximus to be torn to pieces by lions. In a lot of cases, there would be those who would be ministering to them. Some of the martyrs, they would say, listen. And in this and in, in this movie that I was talk, telling you about, you can get it on Netflix. Uh, uh, they actually show a scene where one of the guys is ministering to the people. He said, "Listen, you're going to experience pain for a moment." He said, "You're going to experience the pain for a moment." He said, "But after that, it's going to be over." This is what this word of encouragement is. And that's why he was saying, if you're going to be killed with a sword, you're going to be killed. If you're going to go into prison, you're going to go into prison. He said, this demands perseverance. You're going to have to endure through this 
just for a little while. This is why Jesus said, Satan is going to throw some of you into prison. He said, but be faithful unto death. I'll give you the crown of life. I want you to think about what this is saying. This isn't some other group of people, ladies and gentlemen. This is the last generation of church saints. And this is what God has been communicating all these centuries. That's what he's been saying. Glory to God. Now, let's just hop over to the next chapter. Revelation 14. I want to read this to you. Verse number 9. The third angel followed and spoke with a loud voice saying, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of God's wrath. Point number 1. If God's the wine of God's wrath is going to be the punishment of those who receive the mark of the beast, then that means at the time the mark of the beast is being administered, the wrath of God hasn't come yet because it's the wrath of God that's going to punish those that get the mark of the beast. We weren't appointed to wrath, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about us creating a theology to decide when wrath comes because we looking at stuff and go, oh, that's terrible, that's the wrath. No, we have to actually look at what God calls the wrath. Check this out. Let's say it again, verse number nine. And the third angel and a third and a third angel followed and followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If any man worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed with full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever, and there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name listen to verse number 12 this is very very important this demands perseverance of the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus now wait a minute ladies and gentlemen These ain't no left behind folks. This is the church. This is why he's given us advance warning. This demands faith and perseverance on the part of the saints who keep God's command and their faith in Jesus. How do you have faith in Jesus without the Holy Spirit in the face of death? How do you do that? They don't have the Holy Ghost. That's what they say. Holy Ghost is gone. Who's remaining faithful to Jesus without the Holy Spirit under these conditions? Remember what Jesus said. Glory to God. He said they're going to deliver you up before the magistrates and the people. He said, take no thought of what you're going to say. He said, I'm going to give you the words to speak that very hour. Now, how is Jesus giving you the words to speak? You don't have the Holy Ghost. How is he speaking to you? What spirit is it? The Bible says if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. 
was the Lord speaking through people? Oh, uh, somebody will say, well, the Lord spoke, spoke through the donkey. That the prophet. We're not talking about donkeys. We're talking about saints. We're talking about hagios. God's holy people. Don't get crazy on me. This demands the perseverance of the saints who keep God's commandments and their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's listen to verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write the dead who die in the Lord from now on are blessed. Wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. These are blessed people. And guess who confirms it? Yes, says the Spirit. Let them rest from their labors for their works follow them. In other words, God's saying, we ain't going to forget it. Soon as y'all come up here to heaven, we're going to reward y'all. We're not going to forget you. That's the Holy Spirit himself guaranteeing that the people who get killed by the beast are blessed. And the Holy Spirit himself is active in that. Now, who told you the Holy Spirit was gone? Who said he wasn't here? Why would he be saying this statement to people who don't have the Holy Spirit? The Spirit himself is backing it. The Comforter himself is promising that these people's rewards will not be forgotten. Their labors do follow them. Now, that's God himself backing it up through the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to get to something that's very important. Verse 14. Let's break it down. Then I looked. Now this is right after the Holy Spirit promises they're going to rest from their labors. This is right after all these saints doing Revelation 13 who got their heads cut off. Not everybody going to die. Some people are make it. Some will still be alive. He's the Antichrist ain't going to kill everybody. But there's a certain amount that's going to be killed that God said in Revelation 6, 9. When the souls under the altar, he said, we can't go back and avenge your blood until the fellow saints and your servants like must be killed like you were. Because there's a certain number of those. And God already knows the number. Why wouldn't he already know? He's already in the future. He already saw it. He already knows what the number is. But listen to what he said. And then I looked and there was a white cloud and one like the son of man was seated on that cloud with a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the sanctuary crying in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud. Use your sickle and reap for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud sung his sickle 
over the earth and the earth was harvested oh let's listen to this let's go back oh this is good i want y'all listen y'all should be rejoicing right now i should be getting some hallelujahs because i think you know where i'm going with this one glory to god let's switch to the niv let's look he says look and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the white cloud was one like the son of man with a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand then another angel came out of the temp temple and called out in a loud voice to him that was seated on the cloud take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe so he's so he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Let's just read it in another version because y'all know y'all think I'm making stuff up. Verse number 14 to amplify. And again, and again, I looked and behold, I saw a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one resembling a son of man with a gold crown on his, uh, with a gold, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the sanctuary, calling with a mighty voice to him. And the him is capitalized, who the who is capitalized, who is sitting on the cloud, put in your scythe. They use another word there and reap, which means sickle, for the hour has arrived and gather the harvest for the earth of the earth, for the earth's crop is fully ripened. So he who was sitting on the cloud sung his sickle on the earth and the earth's crop was harvested. Now, I read that to you in three or four different versions because we want to come back. Now, that's one harvest. Now, let's look at the next harvest harvest that comes up and you're going to see the difference that is two different harvests look verse 17 and then another angel came out of heaven he too had a sharp sickle still another angel who had charge of fire came from the altar and Kyle called in a loud voice to him with the sharp sickle talking about the second the the other angel uh, 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 take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the grapes of the herbs vine because its grapes are ripe Glory to God, the angel swung his sickle on the earth. Now remember the other, that the son of man that was sitting on the cloud, he didn't swing his on the earth, he swung his over the earth. This angel swings his on the earth and gather its grapes and threw them into the winepress of God's wrath. And they were trampled in the winepress outside of the city and the blood flowed out of the press rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1600 stadia glory to God which is about a 480 miles now ladies and gentlemen this is two different harvests one the sons of man gets first he gets his first he swings his sickle over the earth, but notice where he's situated. He is situated on a cloud. He doesn't come down to the earth. He's on a cloud. He swings his sickle over the earth. He gets his harvest. They're gone. But then an another angel comes out. He gets his harvest and throws them into the wine of the wrath of God. Baby, the ladies and gentlemen, the church was not appointed to wrath. That's why you see one harvest going into the wrath 
wrath and this is why you see another harvest being taken up by the son of man in the cloud now where else have we seen this language let's go to first Thessalonians oh glory to God I think y'all I think y'all getting it now let's go to first Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 15 this is what it says according to the Lord's word I'm reading out of the NIV we tell you that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those which have fallen asleep. Glory to God. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. With a loud command with the voice of the archangel. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. The voice of the archangel. Did not Revelation 7 or 14 tell us that Jesus was on a cloud and an angel from heaven yelled it's time to reap this is what this is talking about with the voice of the archangel glory to God with a command and a lot with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God okay we're gonna get to the seventh trumpet we're gonna get to that we ain't got to that yet glory to God and the dead in Christ shall rise first after that we who are alive glory to God still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and this is exactly what Revelation 14 just told you the Lord was sitting on the cloud there was an angel that called out to him reap for the time to get your harvest is ripe and then the Lord didn't swing his sickle on the earth he swung it over the earth pulled up the dead in Christ and all of that glory to God he got his harvest he's gone and then the next group that came out their harvest went into the wrath of God the reason why we're breaking it down this way ladies and gentlemen is so that you will understand that it's two different harvests that end up in two different places glory to God the place that the second angel said they got thrown in the wrath of God we're not appointed to wrath first Thessalonians chapter number five verse number nine we're not appointed to wrath so therefore we're not in that second group that gets thrown into God's wrath we're in the first group that the son of man sitting on a cloud gets his harvest ladies and gentlemen glory to God now let's go back to Revelation I told you now this is rich all of this has been in the book of Revelation all this time we just haven't been reading it and the reason why we haven't been reading it ladies and gentlemen because we told, we were told it don't apply to us that's why we're not reading it we haven't picked this up this stuff hasn't been studied they've been forced to give uh, these things they've been forced to give these things frivolous meanings and explain them away because they got on pre-trib blindness that the church can't be here so the obvious things where it obviously says it's the saints they have to redefine it make it be something else make it be somebody else make it happen at a different time and all of this knowledge that's in the book of Revelation is basically ignored because somebody said that can't be us that's them other folks now after the Lord gets his harvest we're gonna see where they are ladies and gentlemen Revelation chapter 15 glory to God Revelation 15 1 I saw in heaven now we so now we know we in heaven now another great sign marvelous 
great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the last, with the seven last plagues. Last because with them, God's wrath is completed. Glory to God. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. God's wrath in them, in them, God's wrath is completed. So, those, then we get the play-by-play, what that's going to look at, look like when we go to Revelation 16. He pops out with the first bowl, the second bowl, all the way through the seven bowls. He, he goes through the whole, all seven of them. The angels who have those seven bowls are still in heaven. They haven't been dispatched to go and pour the wrath of God out on the world. Okay, because God has obviously got away to the Antichrist, goes into the, uh, commits the abomination of desolation. Second Thessalonians, he's got to go in, sit on the throne, call himself God. Revelation 13, after he does that, he's going to make war against the saints. He's going to kill up a bunch of saints. He's got three and a half years to do this. Ladies and gentlemen, he could be fighting saints for a year. It could be a year and a half. We don't know. It could be six months. We don't know how long he's going to do it. And then at a certain point, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood right before for the great and notable day of the Lord comes the great and notable day of the Lord is going to happen when right before these bowls are pulled out but before these bowls are pulled out the Lord is going to get his harvest and Revelation 14 is going to get his harvest now after he's gotten his harvest we're about to see where the people who the who the Holy Spirit said blessed are he who dies in the Lord from here on for they will rest from their labors we saw that he gave the warning anybody that gets the mark of the beast you have a one way ticket to hell and he said this is the perseverance and the commitment and the perseverance of them who keep God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus that he put all that information out there He's encouraging us and then he backed it up with the Holy Spirit himself, the comforter himself saying, don't lose your comfort. Don't lose your hope. I'm guarantee you myself, you're going to be blessed. Now, how much more information do we need that these are Christians, ladies and gentlemen? So now we come to Revelation 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire standing beside a, the sea, who those who had been, been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of his name they had harps given to them by God and they sang the song they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the lamb listen to this ladies and gentlemen this is the song they sung great and marvelous are your deeds O Lord God Almighty just and true are your ways O King of Nations who will not fear you Lord and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed then it says after this I saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant of the law was open and out of the temple came seven angels with the seven 
plagues. They were dressed in clean, shiny, shining linen who wore golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lived forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God from his power and no one could enter the temple until the plagues of the seven angels were completed in other words at this point glory to God God is so furious God is so mad the smoke of his power and his indignation and his wrath is so strong glory to God it said no man could even enter into the temple until he got until he sent his wrath until he felt vindicated after he poured his wrath out on the earth but the point I want to make to you is is before this happens the people who would receive and got the victory over the mark of the beast are seen in heaven before the wrath of God reveals question when did they get there they're in heaven. They're not appointed to wrath. They're in heaven. That's the same thing that First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're not appointed to wrath. So you see these people in heaven before the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. When did they get into heaven? When the Son of Man came on a cloud, Revelation 14, got his harvest. This is their harvest right here. Now, this isn't the totality of all that are raptured, but Revelation is focusing in on this group because of the unique circumstances they find themselves in. See, Paul and them didn't go through this. All the mother's uh, church saints are 300 and 415 to 1500 to 1600. And all them ones that died during the Inquisition with all that crazy stuff uh, uh, the Catholic Church was doing. And all the mother periods of persecution. Those two are under the altar. Remember, there were some souls under the altar that were already there. But this is a special group because this is that last group of church saints. So what happens is, is God is focusing in on this group but it's not the totality of all that are, are that are uh, that are raised at this time but this group is God focuses in on this 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 group here so this is why some would say well this is a separate res resurrection and this is another one no it isn't it's the same one it's just that revelation focuses its point it puts it, it, a microscope on certain things going on at that time this is just one of them this is just one of them. In the first resurrection, all of the righteous dead are going to be there. They're going to be all going to be going to be everybody that's righteous. Glory to God. But here we seeing these saints because that's going to be the church of this time in heaven before the wrath of God is poured out. How did they get in heaven? Revelation 14 tells us. The Son of Man descended on a cloud. An angel shouted to him, Time to reap. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The Lord shall descend from heaven and with the shout of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's why the Holy Spirit said, Blessed be the, those that die in the Lord from here on. Their works shall follow them. Glory to God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to stop them at an hour and a half. 
Listen, if you let this get into your spirit, you will never be the same. You can never, ever look at Christianity again the way you've looked at it. We have been so deluded here in America that we actually believe we're better than that and we're going to be gone before all the trouble happens. The Bible makes no such distinction. The, the, how the distinction was made in a doctrine called pre-tribulationism who promised that we would be gone. Clearly the saints are still here. They're clearly still here. But they have to relegate. They have to relegate these saints to some second class because they've said the church is gone already. The Bible makes no such distinction. The Holy Spirit himself is saying, blessed are you. This is the Holy Spirit saying it. You know, I've heard some people say, uh, uh, Mark Hitchcock, he's one of the big DTS pre-trib proponents. Him, uh, Norman Geisler, this is a bunch of them, a whole bunch of them. What hope would we have if Christians were still here to be di to die under the Antichrist? That's no hope. Well, does is hope negated because you die? Could that be said of Paul then? Paul didn't have hope because his head was cut off. Could that be said of Peter because he was pers uh, 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 crucified upside down? Could that be said of Luke whose brains were dashed out? Could that be said to the other saints who were dragged to pieces and torn to pieces in the circus Maximus because of the testimony that they held that they had no comfort? The fact is, as they were comforted, Paul said, I am ready. I'm poured out like a drink offering. I'm ready. What's laid up for me is a crown of righteousness. Paul said, bring it on. These saints were comforted by the comforter himself. Yes, says the spirit. And they will rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Holy Spirit say, I'm backing it myself. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just listened to another chapter of the Revelation Revolution. Stay tuned in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you.
must know the times, answers to 25 essential questions on end-time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, the Return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the Book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times, by Dennis James Woods, at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.